Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Reimagining Work from Within. I'm Jeff Melnick, based in San Francisco. I'm really excited to have my guest today. I've known Amy Van Heeren for many years. She is truly an entrepreneur that I look upon as someone who's been successful, guided through her heart and purpose and intuition, and really grown something remarkable. She's going to tell us all about it about what she's been growing and how it's felt to be an entrepreneur. The reason why I wanted to get her on the show today was I think she's truly authentic and vulnerable when it comes to talking about the real challenges of being a founder and being a female founder and what it means to grow a purpose-driven business. We sat down recently to have a little chat about what some of the common pitfalls were to avoid burnout and what it means to be successful today. I hope you enjoy this episode. Did you go to any concerts? I did. We kind of did the full spectrum of Nashville music. We yeah. went to the Ryman Auditorium and we saw Gregory Allen Isakoff and he was magical and Lucius opened. Oh. So it was really fun. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It was really great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. And then and we did Broadway weather? and yes. Yeah. It was sunny. Sunny yeah. and fun. Joyful. Okay, well, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I've been wanting this forever. Well, forever since we've had the podcast. And it's just really an honor to get some time with you because I know you're really busy, which is part of what we're going to talk about today. But your website says you're an entrepreneur, a mainer, a mama, and a lifelong optimist on a mission to transform workplaces for mothers and inspire founders to bring their big ideas to life. First of all, I actually thought you were from Vermont, so that's bad. And now that I know <laughs> you're not, that makes more sense. But you and I, full disclosure for everyone, you and I met closer to Vermont because we I think I've known you professionally longer than most humans. Where did where did we meet? Where did we meet? I feel I feel like it was in San Francisco. I think we met at Stonyfield headquarters. We did, because that was before Amy. In the before time. Right. In the before Man- the before Manchester, times. Manchester, New Hampshire. New Hampshire. That's, gosh, um, that's right. We've been we've been together moving around sticky notes for a long time. We have gone through a lot of post-it notes. And I think if we would have <laughs> invested in 3M back then, I think we could have funded yeah. many entrepreneurs. <laughs> But tell me a little bit about your mission, because you're at Pump Spotting now, and it's, a, and it's a business that you founded, and it's fantastic. But tell me, let's start there, and then let's work a little bit backwards from there. Like, what is Pump Spotting, and why is Pump Spotting? Yeah, well, you know, at our core, we're a digital women's healthcare company, and we are really fired up to help parents keep a tiny human alive and fed and healthy, because that is incredibly hard to do, no matter what feeding path you take. And so we have created a digital platform that really helps parents navigate the day-to-day of feeding, kind of like a feeding lifeline, access to community and feeding experts and all the encouragement and information and everything that you need while you are navigating this really vulnerable journey. And then on top of that, we work with organizations so that they can offer baby feeding support and remain compliant with the regulations and really create 
an inclusive culture for parents in this vulnerable, vital, challenging phase of early parenthood. An exciting phase. And now as a gay man who's not a parent, I really, (laughs) and when you first started telling me about your idea, I was like, okay, I'm never going to have a real experience of what it's like to be a mom in the workplace, but I know what it's like for working parents in the workplace and how hard it is. And I was so inspired by all the things around your vision. Like it's not just about breastfeeding. It's about a, a total way for parents to actually understand the world of work and the world of work to understand parents. And I hope we can riff a little bit around that, but that's not why I invited you on the podcast, Amy, because I think your story as an entrepreneur has been really inspiring. And and how did you get from Stonyfield, New Hampshire, from yogurt, from organic yogurt to where you are today? Tell me a little bit about your journey of becoming a founder. Yeah. Well, it's funny when you say it that way. I guess that I have been helping feed people for a very long time, just in different formats. I I think like so many entrepreneurs and certainly so many women I know, I came to this work not based on a passion for maternal health, but just raw need. You know, for me, I was in a phase of life trying to feed my own family and career and finding it incredibly challenging. I was just overwhelmed. I was, I went through, you know, a phase of life for almost 24 months where I was either nursing or pumping or thinking about nursing and pumping all the time, like planning my entire life around it and traveling from Maine to San Francisco every handful of weeks and shipping hundreds of ounces of breast milk and pumping on airplanes between businessmen mid-flight who, you know, probably thought, what the heck is this woman doing? And just found myself really, really struggling. And at that time, that was almost eight years ago. And at that time, there were not a lot of places you could turn to really connect other parents who were going through this to, you know, get us off pumping on the, on the bathroom floor to really think about what it meant to be navigating this emotional time period as much as it was a logistical and clinical and, and all those things. And I just, you know, I had this moment of real dark despair on a dirty bathroom floor and my breast pump was sounding a lot like Darth Vader and just like felt ready to quit everything. And and my sister texted me at that moment and just sort of knew that I needed to hear that she saw me and that I was, I was amazing and I was capable and I was able to continue doing this. And that was really the onus for this idea of uniting parents on this um, journey that I think had been, had been really overlooked for a long time. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, other people might have just been on the bathroom floor reaching out to their sister and being like, this sucks. I hate all of this. Literally. Right. (laughs) But you said, this sucks. I hate all of this. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to go start a new idea. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to scale it up. I'm going to like get funding. I'm going to change not only the way women experience this, but the way employers and the community starts to experience this you went whole hog on it. So like, what what happened there? How did you suddenly make the shift into, the, yep, I'm packing it in with the other stuff I'm doing and this is now what I'm about to uh, embark on. Yeah, well, well, let's be honest. I don't think I knew I was going to go whole hog like at that moment in time. <laughs> uh, 
But for me, I just had kind of a light bulb moment where I really, you know, you're on your phone all the time when you're doing this, when you're navigating, you feel so alone. And because my background was really in connecting people through technology, through marketing, through digital formats and building community, once I thought about the power of building a space to do that, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Then like all things that come to life, I really kind of believe you start putting that thought and that vision out there and the world sort of starts to conspire in your favor and put someone in front of me, Lindsay Whitmer Collins, who is still building Pump Spotting Today, is just a brilliant product mind. I happened to get introduced and you met one another. And so I, I think my experience has been one of just sticking to the, the deep passion and enthusiasm for what I see as possible. And then really trying to just open myself up to what appears and take one foot in front of the other to just keep building toward it. And that's really what we wanted to talk a little bit about today, right? Is this notion of what is it like to keep that going and to feel that sense of success? And whether or not you feel successful, where did those feelings come from? And I said to you the other day, I, I really see you as a truly successful entrepreneur who's stuck to your values, who've used your purpose as your North Star, guided through all of the funding woes and ups and downs and the pandemic coming in and possibly hitting you blindside, but also opening up other opportunities. And you're like, okay, well, I'm glad you see me as a success, but but you are. I mean, you've you've done amazing things with pump spotting, but how do you define success? Depends on the day. What success? <laughs> What's the day on this Tuesday? <laughs> At this moment, what does success mean? Maybe others who've been on this journey can really relate to that. Is that I think sometimes sometimes it's really easy to define success for me. Other times it feels elusive or it feels harder and harder to get to. And sometimes I feel like it's, you know, an ongoing journey that we're successful every day at many things. And other days it feels like a terrifying distance between where I am and what success really feels like it should look like. And so I think I'm constantly redefining success. And I think it's important for my mental health and for moving forward that that's a work in process. And I think for me, it's really important to define success both personally and professionally. They feel intertwined many times. Like my, who I am as a person is tied to how successful, how many dollars we get in the door, how big the revenue is, how far we go. All of those things, it's really easy to feel like the success of myself and the success of the business are one and the same. And so I'm constantly working to remind myself that sometimes success is how much I've learned or the skill set I've been able to do as a person and, you know, the, the, the jobs, the employment I've been able to offer or the, you know, for me, when I really think about it, I think success is the, the ripple effect that I've been able to hopefully cause in this world for the greater good. And I, I don't even think I could measure that, but I hold to that. That what we've planted and what we've started with pump spotting and me showing up every day is having an impact that resonates beyond and beyond and beyond and again and again. 
But I and I think so many tech founders in particular see that success as the funding rounds that they get or the number of users or the scale they've been able to achieve or the exit that they've been able to 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 move towards. That's never really been your story. I mean, I can see that you're very concerned about the size of the community, the impact that you're making, but how have you avoided some of those traditional external success factors that are so driven by either the funding or the market? I think it's hard to completely avoid them. I think that we have investors, we have stakeholders, we have feel acutely the pressure of where we need to get in terms of our financial milestones and where everybody is hoping we land at the end of the day. And so I don't want to say that I've avoided them because I think they live, they sit in my anxiety level uh, around day-to-day differing and all of those things. But I think, I don't know if it goes back to being an inter- that eternal optimist piece that you mentioned, or just that that end game is less interesting to me. Okay. And I really think if I stay true to who Amy is, who I am as a leader and my way in the world and what I really think, my voice and what I have to offer, then the rest of that will follow in the important ways. And I've just always believed that there is a way to succeed for the good of all, not just the stakeholders and the money makers, but also the mamas and the the where we're going. And and at the end of the day, if I don't succeed in terms of what the investors are looking for or the numbers we need to hit or what the external world would consider a success in terms of a startup company, I will be able to live with myself and be very proud that what I did succeed in doing is what I started out to do, which was have an impact on women mothers. And, and I just have to, have to just keep that front and center when it gets really hard. Yeah. How do you come back to that? Because I, I imagine you must get pulled by the different stakeholder interests, let's just say, or the pressure that's very real. Like, How do you come back to that, that guiding sense of what success really means? Mostly, I just have to spend time with those people that I'm really making an impact with. I think I have this platform where you can pop on and see the conversations of the community or I can offer support to someone else. And in that moment, get a little bit of positive feedback about the impact we're having. And so it's so easy to get pulled into all those directions. And I can be in a fear, shame worry spiral frequently in my head about, am I doing enough or did I make the right decisions? Are we going to get where we need to go? And is this right? And so for me, I think it's a combination of some real serious breath work and breathing and just returning, spending time on the ground with the mothers, with the team, with those that I serve. So I remember what that, that successful end game really should be at the end of the day. I think that's one of the things that's remarkable about pump spotting is it has its tech foundations, but it really is about a real experience that's going on for someone. I mean, you can say that about a lot of tech products, like I have to actually get in the Uber car, but pump spotting really is about the community and, and the people. It's, it's great that you can go back to them, right? Like that's really about being purpose-driven is for who that we're here to serve. And it feels like you've been able to make that connection. I mean, other 
founders kind of fall into that anxiety trap. I noticed quite regularly being able to go back to like, must achieve, must have success, must get outcomes, must please others. What, why do you think that happens? What, what causes us to fall into those external, externalities that become the, the success metrics? Well, I think partly we're operating in worlds where we have things like runway, the, where the, the, there is a real actual reality about achieving your mission that has to be balanced with the revenue you're, you're bringing in or the funding or, or what have you. I think for, for many of us, there are real pressures that drive you to look at the metrics and the outcomes in terms of what you're delivering. I think that there is an expectation from that if you are a founder, that the way to succeed is to be seen achieving all these milestones publicly. It's not just like that you're doing it. It's that you're getting the next big deal. You're landing the next big, you know, relationship. You're out there pitching. You're doing all these things that sort of externally make you see that you're doing that. And if when you see that all around you in other founders, getting fundraising, winning the deals, making new contracts and partnerships, it's really hard not to compare yourself or not to feel as though, am I doing enough? Am I get moving this company as far as we need to go? And so I, I just, I think it's the way that things have been built in some ways, especially when you take on funding and, and money, you kind of, the clock is racing for you to move things forward. And I think we just live in a world of social media and storytelling and all those things where you see success in many ways all around you. And then I feel the pressure then to make sure we're delivering in equal measure sometimes. Have you found yourself comparing yourself to other founders or people in that way? Yeah, I, I frequently will look at some amazing female founders, even once we're in our space doing exceptional things around femtech and moving things forward. And I occasionally will go, gosh, they've done it all right. You know, they made all these decisions or their path or it seems like they chose this and that worked and we're struggling with this. And so I think it's really easy to to compare all those things and to think about the skill sets of what I bring to the table. You know, I've been thinking a lot recently about what we're building with business and how I am as a founder. And I think it relates to both hard and soft skills. Okay. Okay. And so with, you know, Did you want to dig with, into both of those? Yeah. Sure. You want me to elaborate? Yeah. Where Tell I'm me going about with this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, when we were talking to, actually, we were talking to a designer about what we needed for the onboarding process in pump spotting. And this designer kept asking, what are the features? You know, like, what are the features everyone uses the most? So that's external data, super important. We all want to be data driven. We know these things. We want to look at them. We want to talk about that. And at the end of the day, why I think people really find success with pump spotting are the, is the soft experience, not the hard experience. It's the feeling you get from the visuals, from the language, from the way the community talks to one another, from how we show up. And that those are two kind of very different things. And I think I lean towards a soft skill founder 
And sometimes the metrics and the business results and those things are a hard skill. And so for me, instead of trying to be successful all the time at both, I'm fine tuning my soft, leaning into my soft skills side of things and looking for people who compliment me on the hard skills side to really drive things forward. And of course, the soft skills stuff is harder to measure and grow, yeah. and therefore, yet it's called the soft skills. I think that when we delineate those, it often I often want to flip them around. I go, yeah. no, it's it's actually quite easy to measure some of the the other data metrics, but the the softer stuff is harder, and that it is kind of what makes you the human leader that you are, right? To cultivate those attributes that not only your community wants, but your team's going to want from you. That soft stuff that you're talking about, that can get quite emosh, and running a business is emosh. So I know that sometimes <laughs> makes things, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> um, dealing with the emotional stuff is part of the soft skill, which is the hard stuff. But it has it does tend to lead people down a path of, like you were saying before, comparing yourself to others stuff going on at home, working through the pandemic, living through all that. And I'm curious about what's been your way of managing that in your life and avoiding what so many founders have led to, which is real real patterns of burnout and, and problems throughout their career. Well, hard lessons. I think I've had to, you know, be in the burnout cycle sometimes not always realizing it. In fact, I, I think one of my hardest moments was I hadn't realized how burned out I had gotten. Fundraising is just, for anyone, it's so time consuming and it's so brutal and you're constantly trying to plead your case and get everyone excited and answering all the questions and all those things. And I, in the midst of it all, I had a moment where we had a board meeting and I, and I was just talking about what I was going through and where I was and, I, and it just sort of struck me how much I was feeling, how hard everything was and, and what have you. And I just totally broke down. And I remember in that moment being, I'm on a Zoom call. Here I am supposed to be the CEO of this company. And in your mind, again, you're together, you've got the pat, you're charting the vision, the course, all of that stuff. It doesn't, I didn't feel successful at all in this moment with everybody looking at me and I'm, you know, emotionally breaking down. And, and I had to just, I said, I'll be right back. And I just stepped away. And I came back, you know, collected myself and came back and sort of got us on course. And and two really amazing things happened. I think one, the board said, we can't ever let you get to this point again, where we aren't seeing how, how much you're on the edge yeah. of burnout and what it looks like. And so it opened up an opportunity for support from those that are building the business to sort of be with. And they really stepped up to say, you know, this, we need to be here and what have you. And then I also learned that, you know, you just, you, you survive those really hard moments when I didn't show up like I wanted to, or what didn't feel great about, you know, what it is or what have you. And so that was a big moment for me. And then coming out of that, I had, I got a coach. I started meditating. I started, I had to like actively start to build in mental health, self-care, my daily routines to really help me not get there again. Let's come back to those in a second, because I think those are really important. And I think we all look for those. But, but in that space between I'm about to crash, I'm in front of the board, weight of the world is upon me. 
and I'm now a namaste forest breathing. <laughs> was there was there a bit of an evaluation of the cost is too high? This is too much. I can't continue doing this. And did you ever get to the point where you're like, I don't want to do this at all anymore? Like that's the the real cost of burnout is I'm done. But were you close to that point? I've been there. I've had those moments where it's really felt to that level of extreme. Like, is there another ounce of give in me to be able to show up and do this? And and what is the cost? And and for me, it's not just for me. I have a family. And so the moment of extreme burnout for me uh, has come when I feel a little lost. I've had moments where I feel a little lost with the North Star. And then you feel exhausted and you feel the weight of those metrics. And then I go home at the end of the day and I don't feel successful as a parent or a partner or just in my day-to-day life. And those are the moments to me where it starts to feel like, what is the yeah. cost of all of this for me? And is it, is it truly worth it? Is that a bit of a barometer now? Like when you come home and you're feeling that sense of being lost, do you go, oh, wait a second, I've got to do something today. Let's not go further again. Yeah, I think that I the journey I've been on is I've started to really understand more quickly when I start to round the burnout cycle clock, you know, towards real trouble and and what do I need to get back to that? And you and I spoke about this before, but for me, for example, it's coming home and it's sitting on the floor with my kids. If I can be present, I just let it all Take a deep breath and let the weight of responsibility like slip away and just be present in the moment, be present with my kids laughing and playing a game and doing things and what have you. That for me is usually the grounding that helps me, helps me come back to what's really important and be able to kind of let go, to surrender to some of the, the stress of the rest of it. Like, it sounds a little bit like it's too simple, isn't it? Like, I'm just going to come home and I'm going to sit down with my kids. But for me, it's the same. I have to get out and I have to run. That's it. I know that at the other end of that, everything will be fine. It will be like cleared down. But if I, it's the step to going to do that that is the place of the ultimate collapse, right? And so when you figured that out, that this is what I need, I need to come home, I need to sit down on the floor, did that become a practice or a ritual for you? Or is it like the emergency ripcord to, you know, whenever I'm in deep peril, that's when we sit on the floor. Now, is this a ritual and a practice that you brought into your day today? We- yeah. Yeah. No, I love to sit on the floor with my kids. Like my favorite part of the day now, I feel I just get such joy from it. And it just brings so much goodness that I, I think I brought it much more into my life. I'm not always perfect at it, but I do. I definitely feel like I've reminded myself. And, I, and the other thing is I've stopped working so much on weekends. Like part of that has also had to be a real mindful, just being in the moment and present, not just after work, but on the weekends is, you know, when you step away from things, you realize you're not as important. As you think you are, and that's a really good lesson to learn. Like, right? Yeah. Oh, they they're fine without me, or that project didn't get done. But does it really matter? Yeah, I don't know. For me, I've learned the hard way of trying to get to it all doesn't work. And so I think sort of that like being a mother and having children and 
and just coming back to that, like it's way more worth it to just be with them than it is to try and be everything to everyone, especially when professionally. Do you feel like that your success in motherhood is mirrored in your success in business or have you been able to separate those two? I think in a really amazing, maybe unique way for me, I have been much better at feeling successful as a parent than I have as a professional. I think I follow my intuition. When I'm parenting, I don't, I don't get wrapped up in those external expectations in the same way. I'm just able to kind of be and navigate by what, what feels right in my body and feels right in the moment. And I mean, I'm super biased because I have the world's best kids, but I think, <laughs> obviously, but I think that I don't, or maybe I couldn't take it if I was worried about success in two really big places. And so I worry more about the success professionally and less as a parent. I think I just have more grace with myself, enjoy it more, and then just go with the flow and take a lot of deep joy from that that phase and that side of me. And and you've said to me that when you can like get back to let Amy be Amy, that allows you to sort of navigate some of the challenges in business in a different way. And that really speaks to sort of leading from your intuition rather than leading from your headspace, your cognitive bit. And to be honest, I've seen you before get into that space where you're overanalyzing, you're overthinking things. And it's like, just get back to the truth that you know. Have you noticed that in business that if you can slow down the brain space and get back into your heart space, it, it changes the quality of, of how you feel about the business? Definitely. I think that question, I have a coach that asked me that question a lot is, you know, well, where are you feeling it? How are you feeling it in your body or when you're too in your head, get up. It's probably the reason you run when you're too in your head, get up, move around. Like, you know, emotion needs motion to kind of be released and get it out there. And so I think I experienced that a lot. And over, you know, over time as I've grown as a, as a leader and as a founder, I think I've gotten better at realizing when I'm going deep <laughs> on the overanalyzing and the, oh, because sometimes you just think you can think your way out of it. You just, you can find it if you keep thinking and rethinking, you know? I don't know. Maybe no one else has been there, but oh, that, that, that. And the only way to get out of that sometimes is to surrender, is to take a bunch of deep breaths, to hold your breath, to you know, take a spin around your chair to do those things. And so I think it goes back to that. Sometimes the, the best solutions are the simplest. Like, man, deep nostril, alternate nostril breathing before a big conversation or, or when I'm starting to feel in my body the weight of that anxiety and overthinking lift, it changes everything. I think it's really interesting to think about founders having those rituals for themselves, but how do they bring those into business as well? Like, why have a board meeting around a table, staring at a screen, looking at a spreadsheet, when if we need to make some big decisions, how do we get out into the community or into the forest? Or as we did with our team the other day, get on some tandem bikes and cycle down the, cycle down the beach. Like it, it changes the quality of the experience, which changes the quality of the thinking. And I think we get so stuck in these 
habitual ways of running the company, which I feel you've really embodied a different way of being with your team and with your family and with mm-hmm. the business that actually is leading you to a better feeling of success and less chance that you're going to crash and burn. Right. Well, isn't that, I mean, isn't that the irony of it all? Or at least for me, sometimes you feel like you have to, it has to be done this way when the opposite is so true. And when you do it in the way that's so intuitively the way I feel it should be done or think it should be done or feels, you know, just easy. You know, it's interesting that you say that about the team because we were coming up on our annual retreat. And last year, essentially, I rented, I rented a giant farmhouse in Maine. And I said to everybody, we're just moving in to the farmhouse. There's sheep that you can pet. There's like places to walk. There's things you can do, you know, all of that stuff. And we're a small team, but there were questions about, you know, hotel rooms and this and that. And I'm like, nope, nope, you're going to just come again to the room and, you know, just trust me, all of that. And we called it, we called it Nourish, Connect, Crush It. Nice. And so that was the plan as we were going to just come together and, and do all the things. But I just, you know, I crafted the experience for that in a way that mirrors the experience we want parents to have when they come to us and and what it is. And it just was this beautiful moment where we all were outside the boardroom. We were out from the Zoom computers and we we just sort of embodied the essence of what we wanted to create. And it was really important to do that, to put us in that environment. At least I say, we'll see what they say. Right. On the feedback form. Yeah. So, so quite a few years now that you've been running pump spotting. If you could go back in time and give your, I'm sitting on the floor in the in the bathroom having the idea, person back in time. If you could do your quantum leap moment and oh, ooh, that's a pop reference that's probably going to only hit one listener. Go back. No, I gotcha. You got. Thank you. Go back in time and give yourself some advice as an entrepreneur. What would be the one thing that you'd really want to say to yourself? I think trust your intuition. Don't fight it. Don't fight the flow of what you're feeling and what you sort of see to be true that, you know, that I really believe that that which is meant for us will not pass us by. And I think the best way to find that alignment is to not succumb to the pressures of what we think and to really just do the best we can with who we are and how we show up in the world. That which is meant for us will not pass us by. That's an Oprah tweet. Obviously, we want to give that advice to other founders, but what else, if you think about other founders who are in your position now, scaling up, getting more funding, is facing that challenge, what advice would you give to other funders? And I'm gonna I'm gonna change my question slightly because I know that you are, you know, a, a female founders trying to get funding in today's in well in forever's market has been tough. There's not many of you seeking funding. I think it's less than four percent or something receive of female founders receive funding. I'm gonna fact check that, but I, that was the number that was in my head. Yeah, I think it's even um, less. I think it's even closer less. to percent. <laughs> Yay. Yay. What, what, do you, what advice do you have for female founders out there today? Well, first and foremost, I would say you are enough. I want every female founder to know that no matter what your path looks like, funding, not growth. I just wish someone would tell me that, but tell you a lot. What you're doing is 
really good, really amazing and really enough. And so there's your soft advice from me. The hard advice or flip-flop is that I would say hold off on fundraising as long as you can. I think there are lots of ways, there's grants, there's opportunities, revenue to get creative with bringing on funding. And I I look back, that's one thing I think, just keep building as long as you can until you really need to. When you start down the funding path, look for the champions. Like you'll know when it's a fit for these people you want to spend a lot of time with in the future when they become investors. And so look for those people, trust the conversations with those people and and move on quickly if they aren't a fit. Don't don't try to convince the ones that you don't feel there's a match with. Yeah. No, in fact, this isn't my advice, but I just read an amazing, there's another female founder that I just think is really inspirational and she's funding right now. And she said the best thing she did is she asked those who invested in her already why they said yes, versus us always saying, why did you say no? And those why they said yes helped her find the next fit investors and, you know, think about that's that's a good curious question. Why did you say yes to us? That's a great one. We're almost at our time. Obviously, so fast. I know. Um, But I've made time for a quick fire round. And (laughs) I don't believe in telling everyone the quick fire round questions. Although, obviously, if you've listened to the podcast to the end, you may know them already. However, you really need to tap into your intuition. And since we've been saying, let's tap into what makes Amy Amy. Just speak to these from your gut. Little nostril breathing. Should I grab a crystal or something? (laughs) Oh, Emily, our producer, is in awe now as someone who is fully, she probably has one. Here she goes. She's got one on her desk. Yeah, there we go. Crystals are present. Okay. Okay, here we go. What three words would you use to describe the workplace culture you'd like to lead? Mm-hmm. Flexible, family friendly, delightful. Not sure you're going to give me the third F there, but we'll go with fun. Damn. Fierce. Um, fierce. Nice. Okay. What three words would you use to define the future of work? Female-centric, lower stress. Ooh. (laughs) Interesting. It's Just everywhere. All of those were hyphenated or acronymed, and that's okay, too. Okay. Um, Which one quality is your superpower or strength? By quality, I mean which one leadership quality? I think I'm nurturing. I think I'm nurturing. I want the best for people. And that comes through. Awesome. And which one is your development area or stretch? Which one are you working on? Clarity. Ooh. Says the analysis paralysis. Yeah. (laughs) Intentional clarity and brain clarity or mostly? Just providing clarity in, in all aspects of things. I think clarity is vital to people. And sometimes it's hard when you're, a big, expansive overthinker. That's true. To do it all. What is your most treasured spot outside of work besides the floor with your kids? Our backyard sauna. Ooh, hello. Hello, Maine. Yeah. Is it? Yes. We have a, a pool for the cold plunge and the backyard sauna. And um, it's, 
amazing for mental health. It's like our family goes in there and has the best conversations. It's like this little magical in our backyard. Very cute. And is there a person or brand you'd like to shine a light on today? Yes. I'm going to have to say my husband because it's really hard to be a partner to someone who is trying to build something as ambitious and risky and time intensive as this is. And yeah, he's, I'm really grateful right now that he's sort of helping our family run and, and in the trenches with me. Awesome. Final question. And okay. I know you've just been to Nashville, so no excuse on this one. If you had to pick one song that represented who you are as a leader, what would it be? Walking on Sunshine? Ooh. Katrina and the Waves? It is the best. And now everyone has it stuck in their head. So that's good. You You're can welcome. take that with the. Enjoy that for your day. Better than Sitting by TJ Mack, if you guys know that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sitting on the floor is the opposite of standing. There you go. This has been delightful. Thank you so much for making the time. I'm so excited to see what 2024 brings for you, the family, and for Pump Spotting. And as always, we at Within support you and love your journey. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for a delightful conversation. Awesome. Thanks for listening, everyone. This has been an awesome opportunity to get inside the heart and the mind of a founder and what success looks like and how to avoid burning out, which we can so often get in the trap of. You can find more info about Amy Van Heron on amyvanheron.com and, of course, at pumpspotting.com. Tune into our podcast every other week for more episodes on what's happening in the culture and leadership space, what's on the mind of the leaders committed to change in our community, and other future work content that you crave. Reimagining Work From Within is available wherever you listen to podcasts.